Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to episode 24 of The Tinderbox. We are the podcast for Matchsticks and Gasoline, the Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. It's Mark, Gordy, and Michael this afternoon. How are we doing, everybody? Great. Doing all right. We've uh, had a... See, doing all right. We're just like the Flames. We're just kind of here. We're, we're just... We're existing. Um, so a little bit has happened uh, since we last talked uh, last week. We had a little bit of a trade deadline. Um, Flames made some... A couple deals, which we'll get to later in the podcast. Uh, Brad True Living lost his mind. Um, we need to work on metaphors with him a little bit, I think. Uh, Michael Backlin has taken over the NHL, and as I just said, he's become hockey Jesus. He's been unbelievable. Uh, but first, we'll uh, talk about last night's game, if uh, anybody is interested and wants to take a stab at a Flames-Predators game that looked like the Flames were going to walk out of there with two points and had it in the bag after a Michael Backlin... Uh, video gamed his way through the uh, Nashville uh, zone and dumped the puck to Andrew Mangiapane for a three to two flames lead and everything looked good. And then uh, the uh, parent running the clock, I think as somebody mentioned uh, stopped it or didn't stop it at some point. And Nashville was able to score with 0.1 seconds left on the clock, take the game to overtime and the Nashville predators would beat the flames four to three. So Calgary, yes, did secure a point, but uh, what happened there at the end? Anybody, uh, anybody have any kind of opinion on this? Well, it's, it was kind of strange. I thought that Ward threw out kind of a Frankenstein line out there. It's such a key moment. I think it was Kachuk, Backlund, and Lindholm, who obviously don't play together, but he clearly sees them as his best defensive forwards. And I, I don't know. That's that was a really tough way to lose, especially you know against a team chasing you in the standings and, you know, the flames themselves are certainly not locked into a playoff spot. Michael. Yeah. I, I don't know. My feeling is like, if it had just been two, two and irregulation, they lost in overtime, people wouldn't mm-hmm. be too upset. But as soon as it, that, all that nonsense went down, suddenly the ship's sinking again, everything yeah. on fire <laughs> and uh, save the children kind of thing going on, on flames Twitter last night. So like, uh, I don't know. I thought they played fine, and like the two and one start to that to the road trip, which I was hoping like at best they could go three and two. Like I'll take it, but um, yeah, it sucks. But oh well, that kind of happens. I don't want to get too into like a John Tortorella rant about the clock, but like come on, we gotta find like half a second where they let it run too long or stop it too quick at some point in that third period because that was just absolutely insane. Was it the third period where they had that prolonged talk about like? Someone took a penalty and they were trying to figure out how much time to put back on the clock. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So, all right. So there you go. Conspiracy I think it was like theory. First or second, but like, <laughs> yeah, it was. That was so stupid. Like, it took them like five minutes to figure out like how to fix like twelve seconds or something. Yeah, and I think that it all come from a dumb Sam Bennett penalty. Am I making that up? Am I wanting that to be the reason it happened? But I kind of feel like it was a Bennett <laughs> penalty that led to all of that. So, yeah, that whole like the that's just a devastating way to lose and get absolutely just crushed. 
um, you know, you get back in the game, you've, you play well, your, your star players are starting to, you know, you know, get hot again. And then you get a beautiful goal from Andrew Mangiapane. And then you're like, all right, cool. You know, another wild one between the flames and predators. And then in the end, it all falls apart due to, I mean, ice the puck, hit somebody. I like, I don't even care at that point. Take a penalty with two seconds left for hook somebody, do something, you know, there's just no point. Uh, do you guys think there was any kind of goaltender interference on that play? I know that was one of the, yeah. Yeah. besides the, uh, the flames Twitter throwing itself down on the floor and having a temper tantrum in the, 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 the supermarket last night. Uh, that was the big thing going around last night. Did, uh, do we see that as goaltender interference or is that just a giant hot mess in the crease with both teams involved? I don't When I first saw the play live, I didn't see it. And then I'm watching the replay and like, it really looked like, you know, Terrace's leg is stopping Riddick from getting up regardless. It, he was kind of pushed into him, but he certainly made, you know, no effort to get out of the way. And I think what, like, there, there's still no punishment for challenging for goaltender interference, right? Like, I just, I, I don't understand at that point why Ward wouldn't just have, you know, taken, taken a shot just to see, you know, if something would have stuck. Yeah, because the goaltender interference thing this year is, I mean, it's slightly better than it was last year, which isn't really saying much. It's kind of like being the best looking person at the ugly person contest. The, uh, I just feel like, yeah, it, take a chance. Why not? You know, what's the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. You're still going to overtime, so it doesn't matter. Or you walk out of there with a win. I just eh, I just don't know how they call it anymore. It just seems mm-hmm. like but it's kind of whichever way the wind blows. Um, so, but uh, another uh, nice little spot in last night's 4-3 to three loss was uh, the continued play of Michael Backlund in that new 3M line of Michael Backlund, Andrew Mangiapane, and Matthew Kachuk. Uh, that line is really clicking, and Michael Backlund all of a sudden has found his groove. Yeah, no, Backlund is, you know, he's suddenly earning every single penny of his contract. You know, in the beginning of the year, people are, you know, throwing him under the bus quite willingly. I think I said in the recap last night, like, do the Flames just put Backlund on injured reserve until the All-Star break every year? Because he, you know, he he keeps saying how good he is in the second half. It's just, I don't, (laughs) I, I guess that's the solution for that. But for the, for the new three, M line, it comes down to that, I think, when Michael Froelich was on that line, he always kind of had that the hoodler effect where, you know, he he put up the points and made the line look good. But, you know, you kind of knew that he was maybe the weak element of that line. Whereas Andrew Mangiapane now is, you know, a, a much younger guy with a lot of skill and he's really complimenting the other two, you know, kind of how Lindholm is now a, an equal fit on that top line. Yeah, it does kind of seem like both of the Flames' top lines have finally settled in, and it's the personnel that was there at the beginning. It just really wasn't clicking mm-hmm. um, for some reason. Uh, but I don't know how you guys feel, but like, I I could watch Andrew Mangiapane skate all yeah. day long. When the puck is on his stick, he is just – he is something else. It's like he's almost got those Johnny Gaudreau moves. Uh, he's so slick. He's quick. He could stop on a dime, go the other way. I just – I think that line is – they are definitely right now the Flames' best line. Michael – you have any thoughts or your opinion? Yeah, I just want to say I think Backlund, um, for whatever reason, like Gordy was saying, just turns it on the second half. And I think he's been pretty good all year. But um, even kind of middle of February, I was thinking, like, I did an article about, like, who the players might be protecting down the road in the expansion draft. And I left Backlund as an unprotected player. So I was kind of thinking, like, okay, like, he's still good, but, like, maybe it's kind of time he's starting to slow down. But then he comes out puts the performances like this and it's been totally amazing to see him just turn it on like that um 
I did want to touch on the Manjapani thing, and I think he, um, I know we're going to get into the deadline stuff later in the podcast, but I want to say just, like, how his emergence kind of lasts, like, month or two. Like, we saw a skill end of last year, early this year, but the fact that he's really starting to put up some points now and uh, really contribute on that line, I think that may have played a factor in why the Flames didn't take a huge swing at the deadline to bring in, like, a Kyle Palmieri or another top six forward just because he's made such a or he's been improving so much all season long that like he might just be stuck in the top six going into the next year. And who knows after that? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the flames technically, yeah. If Manchapani keeps playing that way, it's like almost like you've added that top six forward. And I think the top, the, you know, the top six, the way they are now constructed, I think is, you know, if they keep playing the way they're playing, the flames are in really good shape as they head down the stretch run. And that second line is just carrying this team. I mean, Backlund has, I think it's what, points on 11 out of his or nine out of his last 10, 10 out of his last 11. I mean, he's had back-to-back three-point games, which is a nice feat in itself, but he's also done them against teams that aren't slouches. He's done it against the Bruins and he's done it against Nashville. So it's not like he's, you know, collecting points in garbage time against, you know, the Kings and Sharks. He's doing it against teams that count, you know, playoff style teams. So um, yeah, I I like everything I'm seeing out of the, the top six right now. I mean, Monahan's, you know, starting to come alive. Lindholm's played well all season. Goudreau is also actually like really sneaky quiet. It's like I think he's the one that's got points in eleven out of his thirteen, and it's just it appears to just be not exciting. But the stats are slowly starting to come around. So I guess you know better late than never, maybe if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So um, we can go a little bit into uh, an extra point from last night. Now that we've uh, you know covered the resurgence of the new three M. Um, and go back to overtime. Clearly, David Riddick, the second goal he let in last night, he was not happy with himself. You could you could see it. Um, probably a puck he should have had, kind of trickled through. Um, the game-tying goal is what it is, uh, and the overtime one, again, I think he was kind of left out to dry. Uh, defense was not exactly a priority on that play, which is tough when you're playing three-on-three, but still, you got to try. Um, after the game, uh, he had one of his uh, patented meltdowns, where he uh, came to the Flames bench and was trying to break his stick over the boards. Andrew Mangiopane luckily saw it coming and skated away. I don't know what Johnny Gaudreau was looking at because he was behind Mangiopane and almost got his head taken off by Riddick swinging his stick um, off the boards. Um, I love Riddick's fire. I love his quirkiness. I think he's a solid goaltender. You know, he's he's kind of one of those guys that kind of keeps the team on their toes, but are we getting to that point with like the Riddick meltdowns and the stick breaking stuff where it's like, maybe it's time to grow up a little bit and like, yes, you lost, but let's take a deep breath and not hurt our teammates in the process. Does uh, anybody agree with that thought or am I way off base here? It, goalie might be the one position where being really emotional and, you know, having your, your inner, your inner feelings change throughout the game is not necessarily a good thing. Like he, because you know 90 percent of his game is standing by himself in the net waiting for the puck to come to him like it does him no good being angry and mad in the net you know but I, I will give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because you know there's no other arena in the league there's no other profession in the world where you know 15,000 people literally chant it's all your fault and I think you know, I think that Predators goal thing, I think that really got to him last night and just losing just, you know, was the final straw for him. Michael? 
I know you have a distinct opinion on this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of at the end of my rope with it. Like, I'm glad he's got fire, but it's like it's one of those things where it's like he's doing it almost after every overtime loss. Like, I'm pretty sure. I think it's Warrior who supplies his sticks. I'm pretty sure they get excited every time they see the flames in overtime. There's like a 50-50 they're getting another order in that night. <laughs> Fair and enough. And like, sure, like every now and then snap your stick, like that's great. But if you're going off like every time they lose in overtime, which is going to happen five to ten times a season probably, it, it loses its like value. Like if you want to tell the guys like, yeah, I'm pissed off or like you kind of let me down, they're like, so be it. But like it seems like every game regardless of whether anyone's specifically at fault or if it's just something that happened, like go and break your stick. Like that's, it just doesn't really do it for me anymore. Like you got to win with class or it's stick toss and you got to lose and kind of hold it together a bit better than I thought there. Cause uh, it just doesn't look good. Then like you think going into the next game he plays, whether that's camp or against Florida, like that could still be on his mind. And it's just, he's an emotional guy. I love him, but like, that's just, it's getting a bit too much for my liking at this point. And I wonder if like his struggles at home too have something to do with this. I mean, he's done very well on the road this year, but he's dropped seven in a row uh, at the Saddle Dome. And I wonder if the maybe the pressures of like you know being the guy are starting to maybe get to him a little bit. Like you know, and Gordy, as you mentioned, goalies are a a unique breed. Uh, we'll to say it nicely and kindly. Um, you know, and you're right, standing at the other end of the rink by yourself for a long time with you know being like i couldn't imagine being in like a guy like ron hextall's head standing at the other end of the rink like with all the nonsense and minutiae just flowing around up there and if you're a guy like riddick who is fiery you know you could probably talk yourself into some weird stuff sitting at the other end of the rink with nothing happening so um yeah the fire is good but i think i'm kind of i'm kind of siding a little bit with michael here it's kind of it's kind of getting ridiculous i mean he had that game last year where he broke a stick in uh, who would they play? I is it Dallas? They might have lost to in overtime, where he broke his stick and he had like the top of the shaft in his hand and he came out towards the officials. Yeah. It was a goaltender interference, which he he thought was the call, and he like hucked the end of his stick up. And I'm like, dude, that's not good. That's not good <laughs> no, at all. The 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 flame the flames don't have a good history with hitting referees with things, whether it sticks or their bodies. Okay, it doesn't end well, <laughs> Dennis Wyman. So um, you know, but um. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to wrap it up or if anybody else had any more thoughts on that, but I think we're all kind of like, yeah, it's cool to be fiery, but it's also not cool to be a psychopath, right? <laughs> I guess. Well, I'll throw one more thing out there. If if Riddick can't get his play together at home, like how much does he play down the stretch? Because the Flames, 11 of their final 15 games are at the Saddle Dome, which, you know, like if he, if he can't win there, like I just, I can't see how he would keep getting starts. Uh, Michael, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I, I'm torn on it because, like, I went back and did numbers. Like, it's basically been his whole career, not just this season, that he's kind of had like significantly worse numbers at home. And not, I, at this point, it's got to be all mental. Like, yeah, he shows on the road most likely. Like, if he, if the Flames played 82 road games, David Riddick would probably be like a top of the league, like all star, no doubt. Even though he wasn't all star this year, like, I think he'd be like. A, very top of the line, like in the Vesna conversation, guys. But whenever, for whatever reason, at home, he just can't get it done. And I know Talbot's been all right or off and on at home, but I don't know. Maybe they just do some weird tandem thing down the stretch where it's like, okay, Rick, you get all the road games, Talbot, you get all the home games, and boom, we win the cup or something. But yeah, I mean, you it's, could. It's just so weird. You could do it like one of those weird, like 80s, you know, playoff tandems where one guy plays a couple games, another guy, you know, you just ride the hot guy. And if that guy's not good, you pop the other guy in. Um, but, and I know the flame, I mean, 
if I'm thinking correctly, the Flames do have a pretty heavy Pacific schedule, uh, if I remember correctly, as they come down the stretch. Well, I mean, especially, I mean, they got a big game against Edmonton on the final night of the season. So, I mean, Calgary's got some games coming up that they're going to need to win. And yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it is a, sorry, Dave, but Talbot gets all the starts at the Dome and just don't kill anybody on the road. You know? We'll see. Yeah, well, I my only him. thought on that might be just um, you don't also want to like build it into Rick where he starts thinking like, oh, I'm bad at home, like by taking away his starts there, because then that's just going to snowball even more. So I don't know. I think you might have to see if there's any cupcakes at home in the next couple of weeks once they get back and see if they can get his confidence going there. Because if he's not going at home, I don't think the Flames are going anywhere this year. So. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a that's a valid point. I mean, he was, you know, coming into the season supposed to be the guy. Um, and again, I, I think Riddick has done I know, fairly well for the first year of being, you know, the guy with the full reins of the team. And he's had some games where the team has played like absolute trash in front of him. And you know, I'm sure some of those games were at the Saddle Dome, so we can't put it all on him. But it is just a it is a weird, weird uh, mix where your starting goaltender can't win any games in his own building. So. All right, well, we're going to wrap up that first half of the podcast. We recap the Flames and Predators. We talked about the brand-new 3M line of Michael Backlund, uh, Matthew Kachuk, and Andrew Majapani and how well they're playing. And uh, David Riddick, just have a nice chamomile teal, do some yoga, listen to some Yanni, just chill. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, it's Mark, Michael, and Gordy here on the Tinderbox. We are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back after this. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to episode 24 of the Tinderbox. It's Mark, Michael, and Gordy this afternoon talking Calgary Flames hockey. We are the Flames website for SB Nation, matchsticksandgasoline.com. So we haven't really talked much about the trade deadline, seeing we haven't had a podcast since then because we're slackers and decided not to do one, or I'm the slacker. Um, do on the day of the trade deadline. Flames made a couple moves, nothing too groundbreaking, nothing too major, but I think smart moves, uh, you know, shore up the D- defense a little bit because it doesn't sound like Travis Hamannick is coming back anytime soon. Uh, Mark Giordano came back last night and looked very effective, I think. Uh, a couple shots, blocked a shot, um, logged the second most amount of minutes on the, you know, on the blue line behind TJ Brody, so that's all good, but um, you guys happy with what the Flames did on the trade deadline? No uh, selling of the farm, nothing stupid, but just kind of, you know, getting some uh, bits and pieces here that can maybe help them down the stretch? For sure. I think I think their acquisitions can be, you know, summed up in two ways. I think they got two really quality players at a quality position, but, you know, they got them for a great price. Like, 
Eric Gustafson had 60 points last year. They got him for a third round pick, you know, and guys like Marco Scandella are going for second round picks. So I think Brad Chelving did a very good job spending. And then on the other hand, I think it comes down to what Mike said, where, you know, if the, if this team was like how they were in November, remember when they got shut out three times out of four games, you know, they, they had, they had to look for offensive help, but you know, with this, with both top lines scoring, like nobody's business, they've, scored three plus goals in nine straight games now you know Gustafson is almost a you know a winger from the blue line and he's going to help that power play he already has helped the power play so like I was very happy with with the overall you know trade deadline Michael uh yeah I I was quite happy with the moves I thought they might only just get one guy to kind of pick up the uh slack on defense but um I'm happy they went and got two because I think that immediately upgrades their third pairing from whatever they were going to potentially roll out, whether that was Shillington and Stone or Shillington and Anderson or whatever they did. I think bumping everyone up a little bit, like Anderson's definitely a top four at this point, but I think giving Forbert and Gustafson the third pair, which I think they'll actually mesh well together. Forbert, like, much more defensively minded. Gustafson, much more offensively minded. I think they'll mesh well, and they're only getting maybe 15, 18 minutes a night, which I think will really fit well for them in the lineup. Um, as far as the price goes, yeah, I, I don't have any issues with either of them, especially Gustafson. I think he could be somebody they look at signing long-term after this year, especially with all the other UFAs on the blue line. And Yeah, I don't have any issues at all. I talked to somebody from the Chicago site, and they are saying back in the summer people were hoping they'd get a first for him, but... To grab him for a third, kind of last yards after what defense we're going for earlier in the week, I'll take that all day. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, Flames made smart moves. They didn't sell the farm for anything. They didn't, you know. I think they went a. They did a little more um, impact wise than they did last year at the trade deadline, which is good. Um, and you know, I, I know there were people screaming for heads to be traded at the trade deadline, you know, but everybody needs to relax. Sean Monahan is not getting traded at the trade deadline. Um, neither is Johnny Gaudreau. Those things are never going to happen, and they probably won't be traded either. It, I think doing what they did was smart. Um, shore up the blue line, and maybe you know Gustafson coming in can push um, Hannafin a little bit because uh, Hannafin's play over the last uh, few weeks hasn't exactly been um, good. I think would be the word to use. So I'm kind, you know, maybe you know another guy behind him be like, all right, there's another guy to push. You know, I, you know, maybe I'll start to lose minutes. Whatever, you know, anything to help. Um, you know, Hannafin get his game on track. I mean, obviously, it's things for Shillington. He's the odd man out. Um, I didn't think Stone was terrible uh, when he was in there and when he got his chance to play. Um, but, you know, it just I think, you know, these two guys are probably more of an, an upgrade. And that way, the Flames can kind of take their time with Shillington and really see what they have. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. Cool. So, can I uh, uh, touch on one thing about Shillington real quick? Yeah, go for it. This is just kind of my thoughts based on everything we've seen. I think as far as I'm concerned, I think he's almost out of the organization at this point. I think this is the uh, second year now where they brought another defender in, in this case two, to kind of replace him and take him out of the lineup. And I know he's got a lot of the offensive potential, but there's been a lot of defensive gaps we've seen from him. And I think at this point, he might be a trade chip this summer. Just there's, there's clearly something they don't like about him if they've had to replace him out of the lineup twice in a row and spend assets to do so. And I like him a lot as a player, but I just don't know, especially with guys like Valimaki coming back next year, potentially Yellison getting a shot at the NHL. I think it might just be kind of writing on the wall for Shillington at this point, mm-hmm. maybe as a trade chip at the draft or something, because 
he doesn't seem to be cutting it for the team. It's actually a really good point because, I mean, the Flames looked like they were willing to put up with some of the hiccups, you know, in the warts this season of him learning the game. But um, young talent like that, and they're so high on Valimaki, you hear, you know, I, I think it that kind of that does make some sense, actually, that maybe, you know, Shillington has had his try and it's time to move on. You know, it's I, I agree with you. I like his offensive talent. Matter of fact, the other night, someone was on, was on 960 on the postgame call and was like, just make him a winger. He's not a good defenseman. Make him a winger. And poor Pat Steinberg was like, okay, listen, that's not how it works. Okay. There's rare talent and a rare few in the NHL that are able to do that. And he's like, I just don't see it with Shillington. I mean, if Shillington was scoring like, you know, 15 goals a season and, you know, putting up 40 points maybe as a defenseman, okay, maybe, but I just don't see the, the offensive talent to make that kind of move. Um, so yeah, maybe that is, maybe that is the end for Shillington. And I, um, I like what I saw out of Yellison the other night, you know, I think he's been, He's a big body. He's just not afraid to throw checks, that's for sure. So you know, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of him. Um, but, sorry, what I found interesting about Gustafson so far is, you know, it's not just the number, which is very similar, but just the way he skates, moves the puck, and thinks he's almost like a more mature, polished version of Shillington, in my opinion. Just they have very similar strides, very similar like instincts in the offensive zone, but obviously Gustafson is just a more polished you know, rounded version of him. And if they, you know, if they find a way to sign Gustafson, like, like Mike said, then yeah, for sure. Shillington is, you know, expendable. Yeah. And I think once those, when those two came out, like I never was like, Oh God, bottom pairing coming out on the ice, you know? Yeah. Um, I think they've been, you know, more than service. I mean, it's a very, very small sample size, obviously, but you know, um, you know, for a guy who had 60 points last season and is down this year and a guy who had a major back injury, I don't, I think the Flames did too too poorly at the trade deadline. So with the hockey talk out of the way from the trade deadline, let's talk about uh, the Flames' illustrious GM and his likening going shopping at the trade deadline to like to going shopping at the grocery store where you know you need to get milk, but you already have milk. So you go to the store and you don't need milk, but you want to get some soup. But you only have I'm, – I'm kind of like vaguely remembering it because it was so insane. I don't think anything I say is going to sound worse than what he said. <laughs> it's like, and you want soup, but you only have $10, and the soup costs so much, but you can get the soup. It was like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that, that Michael Scott quote where he says, you know, sometimes I start a sentence and then I have no idea where it's going. Like it just – it seemed like he just kind of lost what his, his point was halfway through, and he just kind of – to put it all together in the weirdest way possible. Right, right. Michael, you ever go to the store for milk and soup and come back with two hockey players? <laughs> well, yeah, it looked like he had this great analogy in mind for what he was doing, and then he just got totally lost and was like trying to think of anything on his mind. And remembered he had to hit the grocery store after the press conference or something, <laughs> and just started remembering what like what was on his list or something. It's like, all right, I guess I don't know. I haven't personally made any specific milk and soup runs lately, but. <laughs> I, it's like, I just saw that. I'm like, did, did the intern accidentally get those like edible cookies instead of the regular cookies or something for like the flame in the war room or something? Like, there was just something about that. It's like, this is the guy leaving our team, really? Yes, the guy that was my... for like 40 seconds. That was if you if you like searched milk and soup on the trade deadline, like he was trending. It was awesome. Like it was like the you know the the. The, the other team from Alberta kind of tucked away in the West, you know, and it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, look, there's the flames because we're talking about milk and soup. And it was almost, yeah, it was like he sat down to do the press conference. Like, all right, so during the trade deadline, we're going to, 
you know, we're going to need to pick up a couple defense and like, cling, get a text from his wife, milk. Okay. And then, so, uh, you know, we're doing, oh, we need soup. Okay. Yeah. So uh, instead of getting a defense from it, we're going to get a nice minestrone and a skim. Like it just was like, uh, then it got me thinking, I'm like, like milk and like it's of all the things to go to the store for like milk and bread or, you know, beer and wine. I'm like, Oh no, we're going for soup and milk, which got me thinking, does anybody really have a favorite soup? Like if you had to go to the store, you're like, Oh, you know what I want to get soup. I got to get a soup. Like, yeah, no, I soup is definitely uh definitely not a, a normal meal for, for all times of the week. <laughs> Michael, do you have a favorite soup? I don't have a favorite soup off the top of my head. I, I guess I'd go to the store if I'm like deathly ill and I need like a chicken noodle soup. That's about all I can think of. So, so I remember is, I went out, when Gordy and I went to Boston Pizza though this summer and he got like a barley soup and I, I don't think we've let him go on it yet. <laughs> but, what is that? I don't know who this guy is hiding his soup profile, but he's out eating soup at Boston Pizza on a Wednesday night after like a soccer game. So. Hey, sometimes you just need a good grilled cheese in a soup, okay? Everybody needs it every now and then. Um, the worst well, part was that I ordered the soup, and, and the waiter was actually visibly confused. He, he had to go into the back to make sure they had soup. Like, he's like, we're a pizza place. Do we have soup? The guy wants soup. Is he okay? <laughs> That's it. So was Brad Tree living at that point saying that the flames are, like, deathly ill and they need soup to heal them? Is that where he's going? Maybe we could twist the analogy and make it sound like he's not a complete lunatic? <laughs> milk, milk strengthens the bones of the teeth. Milk's just gross. I mean, maybe the flames are lactose intolerant and they need some milk to flush themselves out. I don't know. Like, just... just I was just like, okay, there we are. Calgary Flames, everybody. Oh, there we are. Milk and soup. Awesome. Fantastic. So, uh... Milk. No wonder Gaudreau had to pee on trade deadline day. There's just liquids flowing. <laughs> yeah, right? Brad to Living is like cafeteria lunches, no, broth and milk. <laughs> By the way, actually, I guess, can we, can we hit on that a little bit? Because we haven't talked about that either. We could do this real quick. Like, how insane was the reaction to him leaving the ice early? I, I imagine, like, it was one of those, like, old-time, like, things like an old-time courthouse where the press runs out of the courthouse to the phone and, like, they're all trying to jam into the phone booth. Like, Johnny left the ice early. You know, it's like, like oh, the guy left the ice. Like, that was – and I was surprised at some of the people that made such a big deal out of that. Anybody else like, wow, really, guys? Come on. Well, like, if Goudreau would have been traded that day, like, it's not like he would have just quietly exited the ice, like Treleving or someone would have come down to the bench. It would have been a big deal, yeah. Like, it was, it was, it was very reactionist reporting on that. <laughs> I feel like Gaudreau, if he'd been traded, would have been like Ned and Slapshot, like stripping off his clothes, <laughs> skating around, like, just being like, I'm free, <laughs> like, you know, going nuts. But Michael, quickly before we wrap up here, Eddie, uh, were you as like, what, you know, WTF, really people? Is this like, real? I mean, like Derek Wills even was like, Johnny Gaudreau just left the ice. Dun, dun, dun. It was like, come on, dude, really? Like, I guarantee he knew exactly what he was doing. The same thing when he changed his Twitter bio. I, like, I bet you he had side bets with guys. He's like, watch what happens when I do this. And then he just I, leaves and everything goes to everything. All hell breaks loose and the world's falling apart. And then just to come up with that quote after two, which is absolutely fantastic. Like, he knew exactly what he was doing oh, yeah. from the start to the finish. And I, I commend him for his showmanship. I think it's hysterical. Like I love the taking the flames off his Twitter bio. 
taking the number 13 off and I joked, I looked at the Flyers roster. I'm like, well, he can't be 13 because Kevin Hayes is 13. So of course he has to go to three. There's no number three there. You know, I just, I love the little deal. He's totally like, he's like climbing the ladder back again for me just from his trade deadline, like antics. I think it's awesome that he's totally embracing it and just like, you know, kind of just giving everybody the finger being like, it is what it is. So um, anybody else have any thoughts before we wrap up on anything hockey or super milk related? No? All right. That was easy enough. All right. Uh, If you enjoyed this, once again, in-depth, hard-hitting podcast where we talk about going to the grocery store and what you should or shouldn't eat at a pizza shop, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Just search up Matchsticks and Gasoline, search up Calgary Flames, or search up the name of this lovely podcast, The Tinderbox. Gordy and Michael, thanks so much for coming on this afternoon. I appreciate a little bit of flexibility today, seeing... Well, I had some things I had to do this morning, mainly take a nap because I'm old and that's what old people do. So thanks for being flexible and coming on this afternoon. All right, thanks for having us. All right. All right. So the Flames play uh, this weekend, Saturday afternoon, correct? They played the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's another team that's surging. So hey, hey go get them, team. And uh, we will catch you next time on the Tinderbox. Box.